It was really interesting because also talking with uh, you know Miss Kawabara, she was kind of when I asked her, oh, you know, who, what, what it is the favorite room of like is there a favorite room of a lot of people and she actually said that uh you know it really depends on the people it's very like it's a very sort of um subjective thing but she would say oh you know a lot of japanese actually like the hokusai like themed one so the one where there's the waves on the wall uh, because they, you know they're really inspired about this new way of hokusai being portrayed in interactive art. But then there are a lot of people who also like the sort of Instagrammable spaces, so the one with the lanterns. And then there are other people who like the one with all the flashing lights and so on. Welcome back. You're listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Here at Japan Forward, we bring to our audience issues that are of real importance in and about Japan from the perspective and context of people inside of Japan, as expressed or captured by them who truly understand the nuances of culture, issues, and current events. In today's session, we are joined by Ariel Busetto, who is a journalist and podcast host at Japan Forward. She gives us updates with Team Lab's Borderless Exhibition. What happened at the recent media event and what to look forward to in the next coming months. Let's listen in. Thank you to everyone, to our listeners and followers, for joining us again for our weekly Twitter space. Every week we're seeing more people join us for this live conversation and appreciate it very much. Before we get started, let us introduce ourselves. For anybody unfamiliar with us, we started Japan Forward in 2017 with the goal to reach global audiences, sharing stories, opinions, and editorial content from Japan. Our mission, shared by our, shared by our supporters and followers, is to raise awareness of the Japanese spirit, culture, and tradition. And now let's introduce some of our staff who are in the Twitter space today. So let's start with Naito-san. Hi, thanks, uh, Galileo. Uh, I'm Yasuo Naito. I'm editor in chief of Japan Forward. Well, uh, I was in Russia, uh, well, Ukraine as well, and US, uh, Britain. I'm very interested in uh, international politics, but as well as international politics, I'm really keen to listen to the Japanese culture. And this is the very interesting topic uh, to this uh, theme is team level, you know, uh, the challenge. I'm really looking forward to. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Naito-san. And next we have Ariel, who is also our guest. <laughs> uh, hi, uh, my name is Ariel. Uh, I have been a reporter with Japan Forward uh, since 2018. I'm originally from Italy, um, but uh, since I've been with Japan Forward, I've been covering a range of topics, uh, going from politics, economics, but also culture. And uh, Team Lab is an extremely exciting project that I was working on recently, so I'm excited to talk about it today. All right. Thank you, Ariel. And finally, me, I'm Galileo. I'm the host slash moderator for today's Twitter space. I've worked in Japan since 2017, and I primarily do um, a lot of the marketing, social media, and um, some of the operations on the web and the dev side. Um, okay, so should we yeah since ariel you already gave your introduction it, it doesn't really make sense to do a double introduction but just a short um short version is that ariel is um was one of our first interns in japan forward um and 
one of our first hires too in Japan Ford. Um, after successfully completing her internship with creating content in terms of like editing video and also producing articles, Ariel joined the team um, full time and still continues to do so, covering um, a wide variety of topics. Um, the, the Corona COVID 19 situation, also some of the Japan entry um, tourism um, issues. Ariel's also covered some like tech um, innovation stories, like in Kyoto with Panasonic, and lots of cultural, lots of cultural pieces that um, our site is blessed with. And recently, Ariel um, has started a weekly podcast called The Week which is for um, our readers of Japan Ford. I think she'll give us um, a more of a description about that later. But today we're talking about her recent article that she published um, when, Ar when Ariel uh, participated at an event. Um, Ariel, could you fill, in, fill our listeners in about the event that you attended? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, so on April 13th, uh, I went to visit uh, the Mori Building uh, Digital Art Museum Epson Team Lab Borderless. And this is in Odaiba, so the sort of Bay Area of Tokyo. And uh, it was an event. It was basically a media event. So, you know, this permanent exhibition that has been there since 2021. And they invited the media. And the purpose for this was because uh, in August 2022, so this year uh the exhibition uh is actually going to close uh for a while, I mean, it's going to close permanently in the current location, but it's going to relocate to another location. And so they were calling the media to basically, well, officially kind of announce this and then also to kind of tell people, you know, this is your last chance to visit the current location. So you come and see our various um you know, the various art pieces that we have. Um, and so that's what I wrote about in my article. It's such a good part to be invited to these types of exclusive events. <laughs> I'm sure you've been to many. How does this event rate rate in terms of, um, yeah, how do you, how do you rate your participation in this event? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of interesting because I guess this is a, a good opportunity to talk about what the work of a journalist entails. But basically, um, it's not very different from just going to an exhibition and uh, in, in sort of just seeing the, the art pieces themselves in that sense. But the benefit of going during a media day is that, well, first of all, obviously, there are no crowds because it's just media people. And that's a massive perk of the event. Um, but also a really interesting thing. I mean, and I'm also really interested in art, so I always really appreciate these opportunities, is that you get to talk with the curators or, you know, the people who are behind the project or PR um, uh, sort of responsibles that are there on hand and happy to answer uh, journalist questions. So I included some of the insights uh, that I, I got by talking to uh, Miss uh, Yoko Kuabara, uh, who is, a, you know, she was a key person in the, in the uh, team lab uh, project. So, you know, it was really interesting to hear uh, what she had to say as well. Yeah, so maybe to go with uh, kind of going to the whole experience of you attending the event um, mm -hmm. and attending the exhibition. Mm -hmm. um, could you recall some of your first impressions of what it was like when you mm -hmm. when you, you, you were at the event? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I I had never been to this exhibition, uh, which is uh, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I guess it allowed me to see it from fresh eyes. Um, and so uh, we I, I I basically kind of went around a little bit, and uh, uh, one of the the main you know the main rooms that is really impactful is the one that we use as the top picture in the article actually and it's the one where it has the waterfall and all these projections that go 360 degrees around the room the floor the cer- the ceiling everywhere um and that is a uh, it's is a massively impactful art piece because you know there are basically six art pieces that are all circulating in that room and then you know if you hear the the explanations of Miss Kuwabara she also gets like there are art pieces that kind of circulate in the whole museum as a whole as well so it's a uh, it's a really interesting sort of uh, showcase of what the whole uh, exhibition stands for uh, and then it's kind of I we, we went around various rooms and the interesting thing about uh the the borderless exhibition that i mean it's kind of is described in the name as well uh that it's uh, it is it, it tries to describe the the concept of borderless so you know you get really lost in this space because you know you go from a room in another but you kind of lose track of where you are in the space there are no there's no map so you don't know where you are you just kind of go from one room in another and it's very disorientating and then when you go into the singular room sometimes they're built in a way that you don't know where the entrance is and where the exit is and so it really was a experience in which you could lose yourself in and forget that you were, you know, in a physical space and um, you could just get lost in the in the lights and in the projections and the sounds. It was, it was a very, very interesting experience, I thought. And, uh, the plus, obviously, was that I got to also ask uh, somebody from the team of Borderless, uh, you know, what it all meant and what they were trying and so on so that also added to the experience i think even though it's massively enjoyable even if you just go there and just soak it all up so yeah in in your article you wrote that team lab i guess which is kind of different from what um, you have in traditional museums and exhibitions is that they Mm -hmm. allow um social media so people can take photos at Mm -hmm. the venue at the exhibition they can take videos, they can interact with the art and post mm-hmm. it on social media and online. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that's how you first experienced um, the, the exhibition through other, other people. Yeah, and I, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is true with a lot of people living in Japan. They, you know, you saw, a lot of us saw Team Lab like on somebody else's Instagram feed, right? Mm. Because it's got so many rooms and um, sort of art pieces that lend themselves so well to being photographed and just shared with your friends because they're so colorful and they have all these interesting shapes and all these interesting lights. I mean, people would use it to do photo shoots and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and the fact that it allowed for people to take pictures is also in itself innovative, right? I think in a way it's kind of empowering the consumer to sort of, you know, being a vehicle to promote this uh, this uh, this exhibition, and it kind of took it to the extra level that you know it suddenly wasn't just you know people just people like you and me going to the exhibition. It was Pharrell. It was Will Smith. It right, was. Right. Um, you know, the wife of Donald Trump. And so, you know, suddenly it was all these famous people going and then it creates a sort of feeling that everybody wants to go, right? So in that sense, 
thought it was a really effective um, promotion that they did. Uh, and they themselves said, you know, we didn't even invest so much in promotion because everybody wasn't sort of promoting it for us on their Instagram feed, right? Yeah, that's uh, so smart. <laughs> that's so efficient. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you were there, do you, were there any like pieces or works that kind of struck you that resonated well with you? Mm-hmm. Imagining that's hard to select because in your article, you're, you're writing that there are over 60 pieces. Um, yeah over like yes, what multiple floors yeah um so on several floors and uh, it has like you know, it, it, it's even thinking about the technology behind it there are over mm-hmm. 500 projectors and 420 computers that work you know around the clock to make all of these art pieces you know possible um and um yeah i think one that i found particularly uh fun was that which was on the second floor, I believe. And that is the one where it was a sort of aquarium-like concept. Yeah, I know, um, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so where there was a room where you could get like a piece of paper and then you would have a sort of shape uh, like in the form of a fish and you could decide which one did you want to did you want a shark? Did you want an octopus or whatever? And then you drew inside the shape of whatever it is that you chose. And then the staff would scan it and then it would just appear on the wall in front of you together with all these creatures that were drawn by other people. Right. And I thought it was particularly interesting because, I mean, if I were a kid, I would have been blown away by this. <laughs> I mean, I was also blown away just in my, you know, just now. <laughs> um, but also because, as uh, Miss Kuabara explained, um, this is, wasn't just people who had drawn, you know, over the years coming to Tokyo. This was also these were also pieces that had been drawn by other people all around the world. Right various um you know exhibitions that team lab has done and so you know it really embodies i think the concept of borderless mm-hmm. art you know how everybody has a different way of conceiving it but being able to see it all in one space uh we can you know inspire each other and so on so i thought i was particularly moved by that yeah that's a pretty that's a good way to think about it any kind of like yeah impressive to think about that i remember when i went one of my favorite rooms were just it's a mirror and like there's lots of like lanterns mm. and hanging lights and just depending on the angle that you take the mm-hmm. photo or your photo it's just it feels like a like infinite room of like mm-hmm. lanterns and mm-hmm. it, it's just it's just a fun feeling or just like seeing yourself lost inside such mm-hmm. it's it's supposed to be a small room but when you take that photo it looks just so limitless and infinite and again, it's a word that's getting thrown all around a lot around. And today, mm-hmm. it's just it looks borderless, so it's really fun. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I remember thinking I was like, I mean, I can't believe nobody's ever broken one of these lunches before. <laughs> but I uh, know I agree. It's um, it, you know, you see it from the outside and you think, wow, this is so small. But then you go inside and it's a surreal environment. Yeah. So I think those, that was the, the one that I kind of liked the most, but honestly, just the whole um, the whole space, um, because it tries to appeal to so many of your senses, rooms where you kind of, you're touching things and so on. And then there are others where you're just kind of getting freaked out by all the lights. And uh, so it's, it's just in general, a very enjoyable experience. 
Yeah, I, well, uh, I enjoyed that experience too, uh, even though I didn't, uh, you know, join that uh, event, but uh, <laughs> visited uh, once. And uh, the the room that you're talking about, that uh, mm -hmm. mom's, uh, the the small room with the the uh, lanterns or lamps, and I was advised to not to touch, even though the other, you know, uh, uh, the places you can touch everywhere, but. Uh, Uh, that that the lump is so expensive, I was, and uh, if uh, it will cost uh, several thousand dollars piece, and uh, it it sounds like you know hundreds of them, so uh, I was quite shocked. <laughs> It's hundreds of uh, lumps there in that one room, so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's all the lights and so on. It kind of makes you think about the cost of the whole thing. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a favorite room, Naito-san? Well, uh, everywhere is fine, but, you know, I was so, uh, you know, if I were, uh, I took my kids, then the kids will never get out from the, uh, the museum because, you know, it is so interesting. Every places that uh, you were in and, uh, well, uh, so interesting. So uh, I can't say uh, definitely uh, one place, but uh, from my sense, you see the, the room, do you remember that? Uh, the great waves are appearing mm -hmm. and disappearing. And this is the room where you can feel like you're in the ocean, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and uh, this is a very unique experience that uh, you can have, I think. Yeah. I love that place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting because also talking with, uh, you know, Miss Kawabara, she was kind of, when I asked her, oh, you know, who, what, what it is the, favorite room of like is there a favorite room of a lot of people and she actually said that uh you know it really depends on the people it's very good like it's a very sort of um subjective thing but she would say oh you know a lot of japanese actually like the hokusai like themed one so the one where there's the waves on the yeah. wall Uh, because they, you know they're really inspired about this new way of hokusai being portrayed in interactive art. But then there are a lot of people who also like the sort of Instagrammable spaces, so the one with the lanterns. And then there are other people who like the one with all the flashing lights and so on. Um, so I think there's something really for everybody. So I think that's what makes it interesting. You know, adults, kids, <laughs> something for everybody. Yeah. Sorry, I wanted to go back to what you stated in the article you wrote that the venue um, borderless venue in Odaiba received the Guinness World Record as most visited museum in the category of single art group in 2019 so about three years ago pre-pandemic with about it says 2,198 million visitors so like 2.1 billion visitors over the whole year um, and it that's um, those numbers are beat the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam mm -hmm. and the Picasso Museum in in Spain, Barcelona, Spain. So I was maybe my question would be is that um, now that Japan is going to be slowly opening its borders, do you think that and with I don't know, I guess you spoke with uh, Kuwabara-san do you think there's a going to be a new record in the next couple of years? Um, 
I mean, uh, the the place, the new place that they're going to have is, uh, I think, scheduled for 2023. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. Hopefully we will be at this point recovered from the current pandemic. And, um, and you know, I think it will be in a better situation compared to now. And, you know, Japan is just starting to over, open its borders. It's supposed to, there have already been trials of, uh, tourist since the beginning of uh, you know the end of May and is going to ha- op- officially open from the 10th of June. Um, so you know in that sense the borders are opening. Hopefully the economic situation will be better. I think it's there's definitely um, they think there's definitely the premises for a, a better sort of context compared to what they suffered uh, during the pandemic. Um, I think especially because. In 2019, which was obviously pre-pandemic, they were really hoping for a push uh, from um, the Olympics. Um, And so actually the whole reason why they set up the exhibition in the first place was because they wanted something to showcase um, for the Olympics. Um, However, you know, obviously those didn't, you know, they didn't happen in the way that they were predicted to happen. And so there was a whole thing there. Um, But I think that um, there was there there is such potential in the concept of uh, Team Lab, and uh, you know, Kuwabara-san herself was saying, "Oh, you know, it's become so popular that uh, there are so many imitations of Team Lab, and uh, yeah, we're going to open so many other new exhibitions, uh, uh, you know, in the United Arab Emirates and Shanghai for the first time in Germany." Um, so and. You know, what she kept stressing was the fact that the reason why they wanted to create an exhibition, a permanent exhibition space in Japan was to see whether it was possible. Right. So um, because, as as I mentioned before, like 500 projectors, 420 computers working around the clock, 365 days a year is a massive undertaking, like, you know. Mm -hmm right and so she seemed to suggest that now that they've seen that it can actually work um you know who can you know we just have to see what they have in store next and they're constantly doing new projects and so on i mean one of the things that we saw was the sauna um project that they did Uh, yes time ago as well so i think you know they're constantly experimenting constantly trying something new so I think they're always keeping us guessing. And so I don't see why there wouldn't be a new record, frankly speaking. <laughs> so, Yeah, and it's probably a good way to think about it is that in, in aggregate, if all these locations around the world were, um, were summed up, Mm-mm-mm. it's going to be a, a very large number. This is going to be impressive. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, you touched that a, a little bit that they're opening up again uh, next year. Uh, do you have any information on what what's going to be like the new launch or mm-hmm. the new project? Is this a secret or are you allowed, can you share with us this, this secret? Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, when I was talking to her, on the event, I, the, the stress of that event in particular was the fact that they wanted people to enjoy the current exhibition as much as possible. So they were not too keen to share too much information just yet. Um, but at the same point, they were like, you know, uh, it's going to be a sort of new page for the current exhibition. So, um you know, and she said, and, and, you know, even the word that she used, she sort of said, relocate, like this exhibition is closing, but, you know, we're going to open uh, like a new 
in a new location. So, you know, you got the feeling that it was sort of continuation of the current um, uh, project. But having said this, when I tried to ask for a follow up, she was like, oh, you know, we are also sort of like running as we're doing this. And we hope that we will be able to announce like a lot more details by August, like next year or something like that. So like she was it was basically like still I think there's a lot that needs to be ironed out. At least that was the impression that she gave. Um, but, uh, you know, I think maybe perhaps also with this time that is still recovering um, from the, you know, Japan is still only just reopening. So perhaps like also they chose this timing um, for that. But I mean, this decision of kind of relocating had been announced a while ago as well. So, you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. <laughs> and I'm sure that the tickets will be quite sold out um, like mm-hmm. the way it was when I tried to purchase tickets for some of their events especially during the summertime when all the children and university students are on summer vacation. Um, I remember it was like you had to wait for maybe a couple of months to just to get your, to get your ticket or either um, enter, enter the venue at a late time when they were um, segmenting entry times. Um, yeah, and it's surprising because tickets are actually, I mean, they're relatively expensive for an attraction in Tokyo. I mean, they're about the same price as Skytree, so like 3,000 um, something yen, so about, you know, the equivalent $30 or something like that. Um, and and yet they showed us pictures of people queuing all around the block. Um, this, you know, a lot of people visit Japan in summer as well. So queuing all around the block in 30 plus degrees Celsius and to come to Team Lab and, you know, seeing the pictures as well in in the beginning when it just opened in 2018, 2018, it was absolutely packed and still people were going. And um, I think they did, uh, you know, I think they did also a a survey of uh, people that had gone and about 50% of foreign respondents said that they, the main reason for them to come to Japan had been because they wanted to come to Team Lab. So that in itself is kind of mind blowing, I think, because you know, it didn't just become something that you did when coming to Japan. It also became the reason why people were coming to Japan. So I think they definitely were onto something there. I want to quickly touch upon something because, you know, we talked about their success pre-pandemic and then we're also thinking about their, I guess, uh, assuming their future success once they reopen. But did you have any um, insight of what, what happened to Team Lab during this pandemic um, so one of our reporters actually covered this um, when he was, uh, you know, interning with us uh, during in 2020. Um, and basically, uh, you know, uh, as many uh, museums and exhibitions around the world, they obviously took a massive hit um, during the pandemic, um, especially, I think, in the initial stages of the pandemic, because uh, Japan has been relatively um, good at dealing with the pandemic. And so uh, to a large extent, especially from 2021 onwards, uh, life could kind of continue as normal with the exception of, for example, periods when it wasn't allowed to go 
and eat in restaurants after a certain time and so on. But after a certain period, you know, museums and exhibitions were open, except 2020 was a particularly tough year. And so in that year, we kind of investigated what, uh, you know, a place like Team Lab was doing uh, during the pandemic. And Team Lab is also a particularly sort of tricky place um, to sort of to 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 make you know to impose covid prevention measures because as i mentioned there's a lot of uh, you know touching things and uh, um there's a lot of interactive uh, activity and so you know how do you make a place like this uh safe from covid um but obviously they impose some you know entry limits so only a certain number of people could go in and try to keep like the so that it was like a safe space. And then they also applied like measures like, um, you know, applying a sort of anti, um, like um, a disinfective, like barrier all, over all objects so that they would repel, uh, you know, like virus and bacteria and that sort of thing. So I think that they were trying to do like all that they could um, to retain uh their the people coming um obviously they were not too happy to uh publish uh how many people were actually entering the museum and so on especially because some of much of their clients are normally coming from abroad um but you know i think that they would still like i think they still had like a, a, a decent clientele even during the pandemic <laughs> okay yes yeah, so another thing that we were talking about was that um do you know what's going to happen now to the to the venue in Odaiba after it's closing I think you said it's closing in August is that right yeah uh I do not know actually I need to ask that <laughs> um but yeah imagine it's going to be like a huge like large area that's just going to have mm. um lots of equipment I, and stuff mm -hmm. inside it I mean, the, the exhibition itself is kind of next to uh, quite a big amusement uh, center, I suppose. It's a bit like something between a mall and an amusement center. There's always a lot of events going on. Um, so they might find other ways of repurposing the space. But it is a really huge space. So um, I, I, I'm not sure what is going to happen there. Okay, well, yeah. So for our listeners, if you haven't read it, Yet, um, Ariel published an article titled Changes Coming as Team Lab Borderless Digital Art Museum Reimagines Its Future. And it covers her interview with um, Team Lab staff and spokesperson um, Kua Barasan. Um, there's photos in the article, some facts and statistics of its success and um, of its impact. Um, not just on on social media, but in the world. Um, and also there's a video too taken by one of our staff, Sean, um, of, of, the, of the space. If you um, can't make it to the exhibition by, by the time it um, shuts down in August, maybe a good alternative is to um, enjoy the video. Um, Ariel. So next topic, and we just stay here for a couple of minutes or so, is that you recently started your very own podcast. So first thing is congratulations on that. This is exciting. Um, you. <laughs> just on the top of my head, some questions would be like, did you ever think that you'd st start your own podcast? Um, 
I think I was I I kind of always wanted, but I was like, nah, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Um, uh, I I think it was it was always something that I wanted to do because um, even at university, uh, my final project was sort of in documentary making and mm-hmm. doing the voiceover and writing the script for that was something that I found really rewarding. Um, and I think, you know, when we we were so bombarded by images in media these days, like pictures and videos and that sort of thing. Um, But I think just focusing on voice um, allows for a sort of different kind of storytelling where you're just trying to talk with the person that, you know, is listening or whatever. And I really find that really um, rewarding. So I think um, I'm really glad for this opportunity to do this. Yeah. So then please can you let our listeners know about your podcast? What is it called? And how can they access it? Okay. Um, so the, my podcast is called The Week. Um, and as it's sort of hinted in the title, it kind of takes uh, some of the stories that we have published on Japan Forward during the past week um, and kind of summarizes, summarizes them and includes some of, you know, sometimes some quotes. So just uh, sort of related uh, things that you can read and uh, really tries to just give a summary of what has happened in Japan over the past week for people who are, you know, are busy and can maybe not follow news about Japan every day, but want to catch up on it uh, during the weekend. And uh, the idea for it kind of just came also from my own experience. Uh, I, you know, living here, but being from Italy, I don't always have time to read all of Italian news um, every day or like, you know, anyway, you know, so regularly. And so I listen to a lot of podcasts to catch up on what is going on. And I kind of thought that, you know, if there are people like me doing this from Italy, I thought that somebody would be interested in doing it about Japan as well. And so that's what I'm doing. Um, you can access the podcast from, you know, wherever you get your podcast. It gets uploaded with a slight lag, but uh, it's accessible on Spotify and so on. Um, but if you want to get it as soon as it's out, uh, we publish uh, every weekend on uh, the Japan Forward website. Uh, so you can access it from there. Yeah, so what I'll probably do after this um, this podcast is I'll tweet about <laughs> where people can click it and find it and listen to your um, to your podcast, the week podcast. Um, Thank you. And let's see, maybe another follow up question to the week podcast. I think you're about to eclipse your your tenth tenth episode. I think this, I know this month. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some things that you're learning along the way. How, how, what's um, what's what's some things that you've noticed when you first started to I guess to now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, I learned that uh, less is more sometimes uh, because uh, the temptation when you're looking at the various articles is wanting to put as much information as possible in the that you're making Um, but I think that uh, if you put too much information then you know it me re-listening to this, I thought somebody's just going to get lost in what you're doing. So it's almost better just to concentrate on just a couple of things. And, you know, hopefully people will be interested and then they will go and uh, look for the article. Um, and uh, um, I think that that's the thing. And then just also focusing, I've been trying to work also on how you know, telling how to tell the story and how to make it as short, as short as possible. Because when you write and when you talk, 
very two very different ways of communicating so because the podcast is slightly closer to the talking rather than the writing um i'm trying to do more of that it's still a work in progress but if anybody has you know any feedback get in touch and you know i'm sure that like it, i'm i'm still learning and i'm trying to improve the medium so you know i'm happy to hear it all guys <laughs> so your work last week was um episode eight and yeah, i believe you're still working on episode nine Correct. Uh, um, could you give us maybe a preview of some of the headlines on epi- in episode nine? Yep. Um, so I'm going to talk about, for example, the column by uh, Daniel Robson, uh, who uh, is uh, uh, the editor-in-chief on IGN. And he has a regular c- column with us called Gamers World. Um, and in this month's column, he kind of gives uh, sort of insight into what his job entails uh in the calm before the storm, uh, I suppose. So like June is a very busy month for game releases and game events and so on. So he kind of tells us what is the preparation of that. And so I'll be talking a little bit about that. Um, our sports editor, um, Edo Devin, uh, he wrote an article about uh, Ukrainian sumo wrestlers. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a really interesting read. And so let's try to give a little bit of a summary of that. So the people are interested in looking for his content and then we'll pick up also something from the politics side. There's been lots being discussed in sort of Japan, Korea relations, especially. Um, and so there will be a little bit of that as well. Okay. That's great. Looking forward to it. It's, um, a lot of your podcasts, I think they're all designed to be within 10 minutes. Correct. Yeah, and it it feels a lot shorter. Actually, it just goes by quickly. And like what you said, less is more. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Like if you put too much into it, um, it just I don't know it kind of removes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't encourage me to to imagine mm-hmm. about what's this, what's this story about or to become curious. Mm-hmm. Being like spirit fed, which is which is okay for some people, but I think the whole the nature and the design of what you're doing now, um, mm-hmm. it's very it's very encouraging and it's good. Thank um, you. Okay, maybe on the last note, um, Ariel, do you, do you have any announcements yourself or anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, no, I mean, the, the main thing, I think, is just if you guys want to uh, tune in in the, the week, uh, that'd be great. Uh, you know, uh, it's something I've been trying to put a lot of work in and approaching the 10th episode. It's kind of mind blowing. I don't know how we got here. <laughs> um, but uh, um, so definitely do that and just uh, follow my articles on um, Japan Forward. Uh, I recently have been writing a bit more on sort of politics on but now it's a bit of a calm period on that uh, but the election is going to be the upper house election will be coming up next month um, so we will probably be covering that as well so keep an eye out for that in the future I think hopefully we have a really nice guest for that hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Um, so Ariel thank you for your time and speaking with us today it's great to see some of your event coverage and just the diversity of the content that you write for Japan Ford and um, maybe I'm not sure if it's uh, we don't know what's gonna happen yet but we know you're scheduled to be covering Fuji Rock as well and mm-hmm. to see some of that coverage and the footage from there yes um, and yeah I think last time you met some really some big big artists um, so yeah, mm-hmm. this time looking forward to, to those interviews um, so listeners thank you for joining us today 
uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel, and this Twitter space will be distributed on Spotify and Apple Music. Make sure you subscribe to that as well. Um, at Japan Forward, we are looking for contributors and writers. Get in contact with us if you want to submit a written piece. Let us know if you can translate English to Japanese or vice versa. If there's any other skill set you have that you think would add value to our vision, please don't hesitate to get in touch. We'll do this again next week and keep an eye out on Twitter for the announcement. Thank you, everyone. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information regarding our podcast and other news on Japan. Catch you next time.